0: Could do, maybe we could do a little bit of predictions too. Sure. All right. I think uh, you should uh, turn the music on. Let's do it. Let's go.
1: Welcome. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia,
0: and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule
1: make accounting
0: fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants.
1: Are you ready? I'm ready. You ready, Hector? I'm ready. <laughs> How you doing? Okay, I missed good. I missed
0: last week. Sorry about that.
1: It's all right. Uh, I think uh, we all deserve some time off. It's been a bit busy for you lately, hasn't it?
0: Oh, man. You know, in, in the U.S., we have uh, two big deadlines on January 31st. One is W-2s, probably arguably the biggest one, W-2s. All the employees of our customers breathing down their throats—they want their W-2s in. So uh, we, as accountants, we gotta get—we uh, gotta get them done. And then we have the 1099s, and uh, sometimes uh, those are mo- mostly tied to accounting because you have to find out uh, what these, uh, what these, all these checks are, and um, and we have to identify. Okay, so you know, did we pay this vendor? Did we not pay that vendor? uh so we uh so we got you know race race to the 1099s and we have david leary on his leopard
2: bar drove uh a wardrobe yeah, for, hey, the hot tub and stuff you know hey, like, man, thank you for what's going like, on thank you yeah. for coming in i swear hector texts me every other friday and, and it's not a good time because like right when it's dinner it's just eight o'clock right it, like it's just not a good time for me i'm, I'm in the yeah, we're on the East Coast. O'clock.
0: We're on the East Coast, so we're at eleven o'clock for us.
2: You're past dinner. You're past kids going to bed. You're past family time. Correct. Yeah, it's it's like it's, it's tough. It's tough, but I, and, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. They're watching. Like my daughter and wife are watching some uh, K-pop stuff, like this BTS yeah. thing. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, I, was like, I can't watch that. I'll, I'll it's watch a perfect thing.
0: Yeah, this podcast was designed around my wife and daughter are doing things that I don't want to be involved with. <laughs> and in contrast, I'm gonna geek out about accounting with my friends. That that that's actually was the purpose of this podcast.
2: Well, I think I saw something about the whole. Uh, I think Blake Oliver posted it a couple weeks back about the number of minutes men spend in the bathroom just to avoid their families. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I think it was well underrated. It was like seven minutes a week or something. I'm like, what? uh
1: no I still have yeah,
2: it's more than that <laughs> so plus, plus i catch up on emails yeah you
0: know i e-sign some documents i mean i i get a lot of work done
1: <laughs> i actually just
0: i got a lot of work done from my phone
1: i just did a post about adding alexa to your bathroom um, and how important it is to have alexa in your bathroom to be as productive as you could be in this time you're hiding from your family
0: Plus can't can you get from Amazon that little button that uh replenishes your orders so you can get your Charmin you know replenishment <laughs> yeah. if you know you're you're running low.
1: You just tell Alexa, reorder me some Charmin and away you go.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: It it's next day delivery, so you might be there a while. You guys got some <laughs> upgrades since last time I was there. Like Andrew's got a full-blown like set. <laughs> it's it's so Andrew,
0: Andrew's it's, got a green screen. Yeah, look at that, look at that. Oh, it's I'm <laughs> He's in the closet and he's got a green screen and I got a digital, uh, I got a DSLR camera that I I hooked up through my computer through a um, video capture card. So, um, so you get the full DSLR, you know, video quality on the camera and I had kind of dimmed out some lights to make it a bit sexy. Um, And, uh, and I also am using like a real high end shotgun mic so I don't have the big The big microphone in in front of me like always so we'll give it a shot we'll see what
2: people think about audio quality and video quality and I uh, I brought it up a notch by showing up with the uh, the fan light (laughs) yeah the overexposure (laughs) that's all I got that's it and the fur robe
1: the fur robe
2: robe, you know I like it
0: all right so let's let's jump right to it um uh David I don't know if you if you listen to our show or or maybe yes maybe no doesn't matter uh we're not too, uh, news, uh, related. Like we don't really talk about like what's going on in the news. Although we might talk about some big thing going on with the QuickBooks world, like QuickBooks live, we did talk about that and and that sort of thing. So we'd like to try some sort of a time, timely related show. So let's talk, let's talk about some news. Uh, you know, what's going on in the accounting world? What, what, what do we think is going to happen this next 2020? So David, we'll open it up to a couple of, topics and for the folks that listen to the cloud accounting P- podcast naturally because they are on top of news and they break all the news some of this stuff might be a repeat but i guess that's okay and then maybe we can we can elaborate on some of the things you didn't get a chance to
2: talk about how about that david yeah but i think well today's 1099s day right everybody's 1099s yeah. w2s are done i guess if somebody's not watching they're still working on them <laughs> can you still, still get them
0: actually- postmark in time can you still- uh, the deadline. The deadline for e-file, according to my uh, 1099 system, was uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time. So I think at this point, everything that's being ha- everything that's being filed is going to be late. Um, so, so David, let's talk about a couple of of, of of news. So in the Canada world, a couple of pro advisors got an email from QuickBooks saying that they're dabbling and in investigating on possibly doing some tests on qb live in canada what
2: what do you what do you think that means like why would they even send that email up front does that mean anything i mean it's obvious they're gonna rock quickbooks live in canada and obviously when they released it in the u.s intuit probably did not take the best steps right it was kind of not communicated properly and there's a lot of missteps along the way it took them four or five months to i feel like to get their story straight, if you want to call it that. And so then they sent out you know, a survey email. But it's interesting they're doing a survey first and not just rolling it out and just, okay, we're going to start doing some experiments on the website, etc. cetera. Um, unless there's some learning there that Intuit's trying to find out that's different in the Canadian market. And Andrew, you could speak to that. Like, like, are there different needs? Is it a different relationship with small businesses and accountants that's different than in the US side? You know, I don't know. I have a theory. I have a
0: theory. Before you jump in, Andrew, my theory is that it's going kind of well in the U.S. I I, I don't think it's going like well. Like, okay, we're a great accounting firm. Like, I don't think even Intuit feels that way yet because it's it's too early. But what I think the the Canadian advantage is going to be, it's going to be labor, in my opinion, by move by by offering it in Canada. It's not so much the Canadian market. It's actually having the actual workers from Canada. I have a feeling that they're maybe seeking for that lower cost professional because Canadian, I mean, Canadian accountants are great and they they can relate to uh, U.S. accounting. So I think that maybe they're starting to uh, understand that uh, the, the, the economics of paying $25 to $30 an hour in the U.S. for this type of service and the amount of time that they're spending with clients, maybe the economics is so. Not so, you're worth saying this that this is
2: not a play to launch the service in Canada as much as it is to get pro advisors to work for the service?
0: Yeah, I because the call that Intuit has a lot of call centers, as far as I know, that support us in Canada. Um, because I've gotten people contact me from the US, from the Canadian call centers, letting me know, hey, I, I, I'm you know, I'm a pro advisor support and whatever, I'm in Canada, and I was like, ah, I didn't know there was a you know, staff in Canada doing support. So I think, I mean, it's pure speculation, of course. I, I've, I have no inside baseball on in this one.
1: Yeah, my, my understanding is that you could, Canadians could actually have applied to have been live uh, advisors already. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's certainly... Um, I think something that that's going to happen. You're going to Canadians supporting the U S marketplace as well. I think it, it's like what David said. It's about trying to get the handle on the communication better because it was such a failure on the communication the first time that they're trying to lead with excess communication. But, uh, you know, from my opinion i think they failed a little bit again because they led with a very similar letter that don't worry this is only going to go to people who are not connected to uh accountants already which is the where they failed in the u.s they said this isn't going to go to your clients and then it went to your clients and david you know so well about technology that there's so many reasons that it could inadvertently go to someone who has an accountant um in, in unintentionally, even though their intent may be to only send this to people who aren't connected to uh, accountants, and, you know, to go out with that message and say, hey, this is definitely this isn't going out to your clients, I think was a fail. I think they should have led with, you know, our intent is for this to be um, specifically for people who aren't connected to accountants. If this inadvertently comes to one of your clients, please reach out to this person and communicate. I think that's what they should have led with um, because you know, it's going to happen. I guarantee you, there's
2: going to be a, comm- I was shocked at how many times it's happened. Actually. I, uh. I actually was shocked because I, I get the first time it happened, but you'd think, you think know, uh, everybody gets their deduction order, QA wise and they, like, Hey, this is a big headache. And people got very upset. I remember they were going out of time, it was Rich Priest at the time, and they were going out for Kim Adams Bar. And they were like, people are really upset about this. And, you know, you think that it wouldn't have happened a second and third time. But I mean, it's software and every there's so many scenarios that can't be figured out, just especially with people inviting accountants and clients and the, and then maybe that it's not perfectly set up as an accountant-client relationship in QuickBooks Online. QuickBooks Online right. accountant, right? There's probably many reasons, but yeah, it's. Um, I, I thought the the title was interesting. Research notice too. I thought that was kind yeah. of
1: strange. I, I think that that is definitely it's strange that uh, that they're leading with the survey. That I, what like you said, is what are they trying to find out, and what is different about the Canadian market than the U.S. market? And from my perspective, I don't see anything vastly different between the Canadian market and the U S market to be like, we need to do a whole new survey to figure out whether people are going to adopt this. You already know, based on the, what's going on in the U S as far as whether people are going to adopt it, you know, based on the U S on how people are going to react, you know, based on the U S that the key on this is communication and community involvement, um, to <laughs> I just notice your straw Hector. <laughs> um, but like, and, and I know that they're trying, but they're trying, and I think they're still they're still falling a bit a bit short. Like, like I said, I think they should lead with, hey, you know, there could be missteps along the way when there are missteps. Like own that there's gonna be fuck ups, because we know there's going to be, there's going to be problems. And just lead with, okay, when it fucks up, this is the people to reach out and connect with so that we can get it resolved as quickly as possible. But
2: I and I don't know. I, I've kind of been under the assumption that. A lot of the Canadians are very engaged, maybe more than Canadian QuickBooks people, the, the accounts and bookkeepers, maybe possibly even more than the majority of the u s accounts and bookkeepers, and that like this probably came in, nobody was like, "What? This is new?"
1: Yeah right? we all it knew about kind it. of it was
2: yeah, like everybody already knew about this, so it's just a it feels it like it's just a templated out letter. I mean I, I think people are getting target I think it's getting more talk than it probably deserves. It's just yeah. a. It's just like, hey, by the way, we're gonna start working on this in Canada.
1: Exactly. And and I think we all knew it was coming. Uh it's not news. They told us that it would eventually be rolled out. Um, so we're we know it's coming. We're not surprised. We've had the time to go through the stages of grief or whatever you, you want to call it. Um, and so I think we're now at acceptance. We know it's coming, and we're getting our ducks in a row for the fact that the reality is. Um, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's a year from now, we are going to have to be positioning ourselves against large corporations like Intuit, like Botkeeper, um, like Bench. And, and this is just part of the game now, right? And I think that sort of ties into to one of the other articles that you sent over earlier, Hector, um, which was about the rate survey that, that Intuit just released. Um, and I was um, disappointed to see that um, the rates have dropped year over year or dropped um over last year's rates on virtually every um service line offering from bookkeeping right through to accounting um, right through to technology um, hey, can we of, give a,
0: can we give some background around, around the rate survey just so, so for some context I'll, I'll put the link up in the in the in the chat gives some like what, what is what exactly was the rate survey
1: Why don't you um, what, what I'll, I'll let you share it because you shared it with me originally
0: Yeah, so every year Intuit does, uh, they survey uh, accountants, accounting firms, and they ask them a bunch of questions to try to discern and determine what the general attitude towards, uh, you know, from the accountant's perspective towards, you know, what's, what's happening in the future in terms of the average hourly rate that we're charging for our services, and now they're kind of mixing in value pricing into the questionnaire, and I think it just which is really confusing, but historically, I would say for the last decade or so that I've seen that rate rate survey show up every two or three years, the interesting thing was, okay, look, in, in Florida or in the Southeast, bookkeepers in average are charging $83 an hour for QuickBooks training. And, and, and that that was always a, a number that we used uh, sort of to find out whether or not we're somewhere around the average or below average. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that most of my colleagues have is in pricing, believe it or not. I mean, there's tons of education around pricing and value pricing, and people still struggle with pricing in, in general. So the default, uh, when, when, when our colleagues are struggling with pricing, the default to innovating on pricing is the opposite, is let's see what other people are charging, and let me gauge against it to see if it's high or low. So what you're talking about, Andrew, is you're looking at the rate survey, and it it's not even like inflation adjusted, like you know, the, the rates from three years ago and the rates from now are 5 to $10 more per, per hour. It's actually looking like the hourly rate is, is going down. Now, I don't know if that's relevant or not relevant or how how flawed or not flawed the, the survey is, but it is, it, it, it is an interesting. And I'm not sure if the relevance is related to whether or not QB Live has had any impact on this, but basically what the rate survey says, done by Intuit, which is mostly quickbooks pro advisors is that the average hourly rate that uh, our colleagues are charging has gone down from the last three years so david do you have, do you have any thoughts around that
2: so does this survey If I, did you say it also has like um what people are charging for like 50 things so, so, like so the full setup. survey
0: the full survey yes but the the one that i sent them was was uh, it's a more of an hour the, like the one that's published on the Intuit website the only numbers you see are the hourly rate numbers. It, there, there really um, isn't numbers for the fixed fee, but the overall. The, I, thought, rate. That
2: I would find that number interesting, the because the that's because if people are hourly rates are what they're saying they are, I'm imagining their fixed fee rates could be actually coming in less than QuickBooks Live. Like, like I, I just, I imagine my guess is QuickBooks Live might actually be helping move the boat up. I don't know because you talk to people and it's wide ranging. Some people were like, that's half of what I charge. But if you look at like rate survey results, like there's got to be a percentage charging less than a hundred, 200 bucks a month to do some sort of bookkeeping services. So I, I think that those would be the really interesting numbers to see is, is these other rate numbers. Well, that, you know, that, really.
1: that was what was also really interesting when you, when you looked at it, they also talked about the size of the firms and how much was dominated by, you know, owner managed firms to uh, one or two people to zero to five, uh, and then above five, and then above 10. And, you know, I would say it was, I can't remember the exact numbers, but the highest percentages were just the, the one man shops. Second was the, you know, two man shops, and then it dropped substantially from there. So I think that that part of why the prices are actually dropping is because the technology has enabled these small guys to just pick up and compete based on price who are new, maybe inexperienced, which is why I think we're probably seeing, um, rate drops, um, because we're seeing less of the larger, more established firms who have been around a lot longer. I know when I looked at the prices, I was like, wow, I can't believe these people are charging this little. Like, they were charging $125 an hour for tax work, I believe, um, which I was definitely, that's that's lower than what we charge for sure. Um, you know, and we have people who are more than double that, let alone when you get into senior tax guys and you're trying to do any, imagine how the cost of a tax lawyer, which obviously, Uh, no comes nowhere near the prices that they had for their most expensive services. But, you know, it was just a bit of a shock to me that it was across the board and, and, and I'm sitting here going, well, is it, is it the economy? I don't really think it's the economy that's causing it. And and as you said, Hector, it's not inflation adjusted. So these are just people telling you what the, their hourly rates are. So you add in inflation to that, you really start to see a substantial drop over the 2018 rates. And you've got to think that there's some other big macro trend that is driving that, that drop in rate. Um, and to your point, David, that a lot of those low end people are going to be charging substantially less than the QuickBooks live pricing. And so there might be, uh, like you said, this might move the bar up for for some of those lower end people, which apparently seems to be the largest portion of the market.
0: I I do have some theories, uh, Andrew. I have some theories. I like to ask you a direct question since you mentioned the tax preparation rate. So you're saying that you are charging more than $125 an hour for tax preparation. But I mean, some firms take five hours to do a tax return, and some take two hours. So obviously, this is not a good measuring stick per oh. se. What's
1: the final bill?
0: Yeah, but 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 I think yeah. What was the final bill? So just just to get a general idea, if you have an IT consultant that uh, that works on their own and they have a corporation and themselves, and they and they and they bring you the bank statements, average activity for a solo practitioner. How much do you charge average? for the bookkeeping, the tax return or whatever the tax planning is consequently for the next year? What's the final bill look like in, in your world in Toronto?
1: Yeah. So for us, and, and we're, I'd say mid to high um, yeah, right. is because of the, all the value added stuff that we do. Um, so if you want to bring us in um, your own books, uh, we're looking at probably about $2,400, give or take uh, for the, for the the corporate year end. Um, if you want us to do cash coding um, on your your bookkeeping, Wait, hang on a second.
0: You you bring your own books means they give you a and and a balance sheet is squeaky clean, tax return. I wouldn't, rate.
1: It, I wouldn't call it squeaky clean, but they'll
0: give us. Oh, okay, it's, uh, right. I mean that just it, it's it's marvelous for a for a non accountant prepared. They,
1: they give us a and and we're reconciling the. We'll we'll do we'll reconcile the bank. We'll reconcile.
0: And, and you charge twenty four hundred dollars Canadian.
1: 24. To prepare the tax, prepare
0: the corporate and the and tax return, which yeah. is like in the U.S. world, maybe like eighteen hundred bucks. Yeah. So, it, how long? I mean, just I mean, I know this is a weird question, but how long does it take you?
1: Um, so, I would say on an average return, there's probably about, um, probably about ten to twelve hours. Uh, of people with different skill sets along the way, right? So the way we divide it up is we have a team. So we have data entry technicians, we have um, uh, account managers, and then we have senior tax advisors. So the senior tax advisors are billing out um, at about 300. Uh, the uh, accountants are billing out at about 200. And then the account technicians are billing out at about 100.
0: So so if this survey were to come to you and you would have to answer the hour, the average hourly rate Question: You would have said 200 to 50, something like that, for tax work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, that, that, so that's, that's exactly the point, yeah. right? So the point is, you know, you in Toronto, which is obviously, you know, this is average. So this will this will be the same in the middle of the country, and you know, you're asking the same question, middle of the country, same question in New York. There's going to be a variance there. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you were thinking that U.S. dollars, the average tax preparation rate should be higher than
1: 125. Yeah. Uh, per hour.
2: Be- and like it's showing a decrease in trend. Yeah. So, so I went back, because Blake and I spoke about this in November when we saw that the survey was out and we just went and peeked at the 2018 numbers, the old numbers. And so we had some kind of questions on like the things we found interesting. I don't know if this is the new results, if you have those available right now, Hector, but the, um, the percentage of people that were billing by the hour it was decreased from 2016 to 2018. And because they're moving to either fixed fee or they're moving to value. So did that number drop again? No, no. So, so, so yes, the,
0: the number of people charging by the hour compared to the people charging fixed fee has dropped. So, you know, there's... What
2: there percentage could, is that now?
0: A trend to for fixed. It's about, it looks like it's 50%, like about 51, 52%. So hour it's almost
2: hour. half now. So, so I mean, and this can make sense, right? I, I could see... People that were properly billing before or billing high enough per hour have moved now to fixed or value because they're a little ahead of the curve. And the, peop- the, the, lower, the people that are billing lower per hour, there's a smaller pool and they're just people that aren't doing things right, you know, in a way. And so the, I think you're, the numbers might be going down, but it's because it's the people that just are stuck. They're not moving on to other things. The other number I thought would be interesting to, to observe in 2018, 12% of the people said their leads were coming from the Finder Pro Advisor website. Now that QuickBooks Live's been out for a year, you know, that's whatever. Changed. Right? Is yeah. are people getting less or more from the find a pro advisor website? What does it say for that?
0: I, that's that not that's bad. that I am not that, seeing.
2: That yeah. one actually would be very interesting. Because if that didn't decrease, that means intuitive is proving their point that hey, we're trying to connect people that aren't even using the finder pro advisor site. And look the provisor find a provisor set numbers did not change because we've been marketing QB live as heavy as we we could. We have been like, that would be interesting one. And so yeah, it's, it's it's kind of unfortunate, like part of the survey has been released, but not all of it. Like how are people supposed to compare it to the previous year? Only half the data is out so far.
0: Honestly, most of these surveys are just the, they're really just there for random content generation. Like at the end of the day, yeah, it's a marketing thing. Yeah, right. Unless they release the spreadsheet, right? Because you know, if, I'll feel really good if I get the big ass spreadsheet and then let me do my own analysis. But but you get little snippets of it, and I don't, I don't know. I don't think necessarily there's an agenda. Like I don't think anyone into it is. I don't want to say this demeaning, but I want to say no one into it really is smart enough. To, to I don't mean I mean demeaning, I just mean they're not, uh, they're not evil enough, and smart and evil enough well, to use awesome. that information in a, in a really well-programmed PR uh, strategy, right? I think it's just, it just comes out, people go, cool, a, a place where I can see numbers, and, and it looks like Intuit sort of is, is giving us some numbers to look at and to feel good or not bad about uh, what's going on. But at the end of the day, these rate surveys are so dumb. Like, they're not dumb, but if you if you take any action around it... Just keep digging, Hector. Just keep digging. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, look, when it, especially when it comes to pricing. This, and the, this, this is why it, we don't get sponsored on Friday Night Live. Right, that's right. But I mean, this is supposed to be a place where we talk, you know, speak our mind, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, my challenge with rate surveys as a whole, and I think benchmarking as a whole, is when, when people are not... Creative enough or innovative enough to don't think themselves as one to be compared against everybody else. Um, and then they basically take action based on what everybody else does, you're basically always gonna be in the average, right? Like if, 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 if you if you think customers can't pay you X, Y, Z because the market won't pay it, that means you're not creative enough to 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 portray the value, explain the value, and get the client thinking about the end result rather than than the effort. And a lot of what a lot of these uh, surveys do and the people that love them and the people that use them and the people that run their business by them, any sort of benchmarking is to basically become the smart kid in the dumb class. You you know what I mean? So what's what the heck is the point? You know, so so in unfortunately, unfortunately, not every firm is going to have creative people and good marketing people and good strategic people and they're going to always use benchmarks and compare themselves against benchmarks and in in many ways for people like us like Andrew and, and I and Michael and anyone that's sort of partially forward thinking that's good that, that the average number of people will, will bind themselves to an average of some sort and then allow us to to you know to, to, to basically um, uh, just come out different just come out with different positioning so in many ways I think for anyone that's listening and watching take those great surveys with a grain of salt. I wouldn't pay much attention to it. If if you think about it too hard, uh, you're probably going to fall behind. That's my, that's my take about rate surveys anyway.
1: Yeah. I I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be using them for strategic planning, but I, I do think they're good to good idea to understand where trends are going. So looking at, okay, you know, rates are, are falling overall, forget what they are, that just in general that they're falling and that we're also seeing more of the smaller types of businesses. What does that actually mean as far as what the landscape might look like When we start projecting this out, if if this trend continues, what is the landscape going to look like in, you know, three to five years, and what things can I do so that my firm is positioned in three to five years to take advantage of these trends that are probably coming? So that's where I think that they come in handy because they are collecting a lot. They're collecting data from a lot of people, and so they they are getting relevant statistical information that can help you understand trends more than anything and i think trying to look at it and say well am i going to adjust my rates now based on the rate survey i'm not i don't think anyone really should be but i think it's a good way for people to start looking at going okay what's what's the trend here but um you know it's probably i think um you know we can dwell on this topic for a lot longer, and you know we don't have David here very very often, so I think it's maybe time to switch switch over what's what's a topic you'd really love to talk about tonight david?
2: Uh, what is it so we uh, we recorded the news earlier today um, what is uh what did we we've been we've been talking a lot about the just the value of the cpa we talked a lot about that today a lot the value of the cpa the value of gap and FASB and these financial standards that exist and goodwill and yeah. the lease accounting, it just goes on and on and on. And just this, the level of complexity that actually, I mean, you guys, there's that book, the end of account. Is it the end of accounting? What's it called? Yeah, Barug-Lev. Yeah, Barug-Lev. yeah the, the, the end of accounting, yeah. right. To where, you know, most financial decision, I mean, originally gap was created so you could compare two companies and say, Oh, I'm they have standard financial documents. I'm going to invest in this company. It's a better investment, but basically nobody makes investments like that anymore. It's all based on brand and reputation and, and innovation and forward thinking and bets and all this stuff. Right. And nobody cares about all the value or lack of value, or arguably no value that accountants and CPAs in the gap and FASB is bringing to the table. And it's, and it's kind of a big discussion happening. And then you see things like the Pentagon and those, uh, you know, trillion dollars of just account balancing transfers <laughs> that, that mean nothing. They're just, it, it's a mockery of the whole the whole thing to effect. So we've been talking about that a lot because it's just, um, and I've seen it to where it's caused problems with, um, even I've seen it into it. Like you were, because of revenue recognition rules and FASB and GAP stuff, right? The right decision, what the right decision was for customers and developers couldn't be made because it was all tied to the finance very fast in and sec rules really the stock and your numbers and what you're releasing like they had to charge for certain things that probably weren't good, you shouldn't have charged for but you just you're tied right so these regulations are hampering business from doing the right thing and so now it's like our accountants and bookkeepers just in the way not bookkeepers but i mean are these uh compliance laws just in the way And
1: I I think the answer to that is definitive. Yes. Um, But are they, they're in the way, but are they also there with the right intent? Because you're certainly never going to get all the laws, right? We know, we know that much. Um, And our, our, I think where the biggest problem is is can they learn and adapt quickly enough, which clearly the answer is, is no. I mean, I think when you guys had that, I was listening to your, your, your talk about uh, goodwill um, and the fact of like how how insane it is that the goodwill has to be recalculated and, and why can't they just amortize it like a small business can. Um, and and the problem with that is not so much that they're finally catching on that it's uh, stupid, it's that it's taken this long for them to realize the amount of money that has been wasted um, to to recalculate all this for uh, really no positive benefit to the economy or to the individual companies. Um, So I I think the answer is how do you, how do you get the system to speed up? And I know it's been a pet peeve of Hector's that he says, you know, you look at things like the, you know, the professional designations or any large organization um, is that they're never, they're never agile enough. They're never innovative enough. Um, And I've always said, well, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? Like you can't have, the standardization and you can't have the regulation and be fast moving. Um, and it's finding that sort of that that happy compromise. Um, and arguably, we're not there now. And I think you're, you're right. Um, par- particularly at the larger organization, there's just so much bureaucracy that it's ultimately, you know, making large organizations inefficient, which gives the small business guys the advantage, right? That's why we've got the Advantages of being able to be nimble and be flexible, which is um, it's it's right now it's it's our saving grace as we're now having to compete against these large organizations, is that at least they have these bureaucracies and they have these issues um, to compete to to compete with that give us that flexibility and that run room because we can pivot we can adapt um, and we're not tied to the same um, regulations as
2: they are. Well, I think like CPAs are so tied in the minutia of companies, right? And they're just buried in all this stuff. And then they're getting a bad reputation because they're the guys that are just, you know, they're ruining things for everybody else, right? And that's why I put the number number of CPAs that are CFOs at the top 1,000 US companies is down to its lowest number in six years.
1: Really? I did not know that.
2: like, Like, So it's to the point where people didn't want CPAs to be their CFOs anymore
1: because they're too conservative to
2: Well, they don't have enough skill set outside of compliance stuff. At they least don't know how.
1: That's the perception. Because we know all too well that there's people in this industry that definitely do. Um I yeah, you're right, there's probably people that don't. Uh, and it's hard for hard for me particularly because I'm surrounded by so many innovative people and innovative key accountants who certainly have many skill sets outside. All the
2: viewers of Friday Night Live, I'm sure. <laughs> All,
1: and, and listeners to Cloud Accounting Podcast for sure, right? I mean, and, and people like you and people like Blake, um, you know, and and you look around the room, there's so many innovative accountants that are doing things that are stepping up, up and, and above, you know, and, and fortunately, in Canada, we've been blessed with a lot of forward thinking accountants early on. Um, you know, and and been able to see people who have seen that a good accountant isn't just about compiling a financial statement. Um, you know, I, I've said it over and over again. You know what Josh and Chad did with Live CA, um, what Ryan did with Zen Accounting, um, what um, you know. Th- there's there's so many great examples here in Canada, of and, and around the world, quite frankly of accountants who have proven time and time again that they can think beyond a balance sheet and an income statement to help a business optimize and grow and and we're fortunate to be in this community right now that has that um, and, and it's hard for me when I hear those stereotypes of, you know, the traditional accountant who's conservative and who has no skill sets behind beyond balancing a budget. Uh, I'm like, no, you, that is so wrong. That is such a stereotype. Um, and, and if you believe that, let me take you around and walk you around a, a room of a hundred, 2,000, 5,000 accountants who don't think like that anymore. Um, and thanks to people like you. David and and Blake, you're getting that message out to even more people. And we're getting more and more innovation in the industry uh, than ever before. So hopefully we'll start to see some, some recognition from industry that CPAs can do more beyond balancing a budget. And I know that here up in Canada, there's the, the Institute of Chartered Professional Accountants is actually going their whole big marketing push Um, in in the future for the next coming years, is to help people recognize that accountants can think beyond the numbers and that accountants, um, you know, are strong on technology, and can bring that whole aspect of it to as well.
0: Andrew, while I love you uh, painting the picture that accountants are this great and and forward thinking and everything. And and I I like
1: (laughs) I'm in a bubble. I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I li- exactly. I, I like to think that too. And I personally, I have I, I, I personally have taken the mantle of making sure that I do whatever I can to help the profession change uh, the general perception of what is it that we do and how is it that we do it. And in our bubble, in the QuickBooks Connect bubble and the Skilling New Heights bubble and the Toronto Tech bubble and the Miami scene and New York and San Francisco. Yes, a lot of uh, our peers are techie and forward-looking and they, look, they do advisory and they do app integration and they're embracing the cloud. But if we were to, to, to just kind of like do an a fair average, right across Canada, across the US, I would say that our industry is falling behind in many ways. It's falling behind technologically. Again, while there's some outliers that prove the opposite. I think in average it's not I, I, I've, I encounter so many people in the middle yeah. the middle of the country, I just make my point real quick. I encounter so many people that that talk to me and when I ask, hey, what what made you come to me?" they don't say you know it's your YouTube channel or your your pretty face or whatever. They say my accountant knows nothing about QuickBooks. When I ask my accountant a question about technology, they stare at me like I'm some sort of alien. When I tell my accountant that I want to do XYC for my phone, I want to look at reports on my phone, they look at me like that's not a thing, you know. And <clears throat> why are accountants doing this? Like, why are an accountant saying, Mr. Customer, I don't have the answer, but you're right, you know, you're moving faster than we are, and we are the gatekeepers of data, which should give us insight and trends to where everything is moving to. But I think that. I think that for the most part, right now at this juncture, accountants are falling behind as an entire industry and, and, and CPA, particularly, especially in particular CPA. I actually see bookkeepers and QuickBooks advisors move a lot faster, technologically speaking. And this is regardless of age. Uh, I don't think it's an age thing, but it also might be an age thing, right? Because most CPAs take 10, 15 years to get their certificate. So I think for the most part the non-certified folks are younger because they're getting started. Um, so the age gap could have something to do with it. But you know, Dave I, I know David, Andrew, and I, and Michael, and Blake, we pride ourselves on wanting to push the profession forward. But I don't think I don't think this forward is actually moving as well, fast I, as, as I wanted to.
2: I, I think if you if you had the bell curve, right, there's what a million and a half to two million accountants and bookkeepers, CPAs, etc. Like this umbrella of them in North America, it's like million and a half to 2 million, maybe 5,000 to 10,000 are in this bucket that Andrew's describing these forward-thinking progressive people. Like it's nothing like nobody in the grand scheme of things, the vector's right. The average is bad. I agree with you guys that the average is bad but we also know
1: from the industry that what we have is we end up getting these tipping points where the industry lags and lags and lags because they don't want to the accountants in general don't want to be the first ones out the gate they want to make sure that everything is tried and tested and they and it and it goes through this this late adoption phase later than normal um and where you've got only a small percentage of people who are adopting and proving and demonstrating that this is the way forward and then boom they go yep and then you get mass 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 adoption and i've got to think we can't be far away from that tipping point of mass adoption because it's not you know we've been in this now for several years of people demonstrating this and you know i to me the 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 writing on the wall is when the Institute of Chartered Accountants here in Canada, who are as stale as you can imagine, come out and say, just like you said, Edward, or you said, Hector, that as accountants, we are stewards of data. And this is a time when data is being created faster than ever before. And technology is giving us the ways to leverage this data in ways we've never been able to. And when the Institute Is coming out and recognizing that you've got to realize that this tipping point is around the corner
0: i'll give you i'll give an example and and this this would be a introspective kind of question or comment i'll make if you're watching and listening to this and you're an accounting professional and you're looking you're doing your clients books and you're seeing what your client is spending money on on apps right any apps or any monthly service and you're not asking your client what is this app? Why did you buy this? If you're not engaging in the conversation of learning, what is it that your clients are paying for in terms of cloud apps? You're already falling behind the curve because the, the reality is that you know software and banks and APIs are going to dominate the the data flow for sure. Uh, they're going to They're going to. The source is going to be electronic. Most for the most part, the source will be electronic anyway. So, the credit card companies, the merchant companies, the, the QuickBooks of the world, the banks, the APIs, the, the, they're going to control uh, the data flow. So, if we are not understanding or in the cutting edge of what are all these technologies, like I'll give an example how many accountants know what Zapier is? I'm just saying, no, what Zapier is. I guarantee you it's less than 1%. How many accountants uh, integrate any other accounting software, QuickBooks? desktop, online, zero, whatever, integrated to at least one app, to at least one. And, and, and I've have actually started the process. I also bet you it's under 1%. So I think our bubble, it, it just prevents us from seeing the reality because I've, I've dealt with some people that it's like, dude, how do you call yourself an accountant? And like, you don't know this stuff. What the hell's, I'll give you an example. I, I, David David and Blake's podcast. It's one of the best business podcasts overall period on top of the fact that it's a great, the best accounting podcast uh period and the amount of viewership that david and blake get it's this exactly. small is this small compared to what
2: it should be and i know it's a long process david and and, and I, I know it's been i say this all the time enough. i mean and, and and you can even take this umbrella and move it up even higher to just small business in general small businesses here's who they know in this country in north america they know quickbooks they know square. And I'd argue they probably know constant contact. That's it. Bill.com doesn't exist. Zero doesn't exist. None, we don't exist. None of us exist. Like, like that's. And I would even argue small businesses don't know Salesforce. They really don't. Like, Or they maybe have seen it. Somebody tried to sell it to them and they said, this is ridiculous. None of my employees ever use it. Right. But, and if you, if you think about where we're at, like, None of us exist. Nobody's using this stuff, and even QuickBooks. I remember for 15 years of my career, at Intuit. I'd get on an airplane and I would sit next to somebody on an airplane. Where do you work? I'm like Intuit. I work for, do uh, QuickBooks. They don't know that. Uh, quicken and don't know that. TurboTax. Oh, I know who you are. Who you work for. Like until Intuit started doing like massive commercial runs the last four years, five years, nobody even knew who the hell QuickBooks was, right? And so like it, this is much bigger. Like where we do live in a bubble. Like. Grand, I mean, come on we have the number one podcast in the world and like nobody listens to us <laughs> right like 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 that's how small like versus i mean there's 1.6 million accountants of bookkeepers one point whatever and we're getting what 0.1 percent maybe less than that 0.01 percent there's the vast majority of the people hector's right they're just either aren't aware or their heads in the sand you know i, I bet you if you surveyed 100 of this if they put this on the cpa exam have you even heard of, let's just say, Build.com, which right now is arguably one of the bigger brands just went public. Some very small percentage on the CPA exam would take the exam and say they've heard of it. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> but you throw Shopify. In our,
2: world, in our world, that's like one of the most gigantic things ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could definitely see your point.
1: And I know that I do live in a bubble and I'd like to believe that there's more accountants <laughs> On this bubble with us than there than there maybe are, because I get that euphoria and being around 5,000 it feels like so many, um, but then yeah when you when you put that into perspective of of the millions of accountants out there we know that there's a lot of laggards out there, but I do believe this tipping point is around the corner. I You're think a
2: double bubble because in Canada it's even a, a it's, little well, different. The bell curves have been a little different there. I think
1: it yeah, might even well, be a little further ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We're, well, yeah, I'd say that we are arguably further ahead because um, we've been lucky to, to hang out with um, the Aussies and and the Brits and um, the Americans down at QuickBooks Connect and, and sort of um, learn and adapt, you know, and, and get from people who've been doing this for several years and be able to take that. And because we're, you know, we're one-tenth the size and we Built a pretty decent sized community as a percentage of the population probably so i'd say our bubble's definitely a little bit bigger i think we've got we've got a, little, a lot of really um smart uh canadian accountants who have definitely seen uh, the future there's definitely lots up here who who haven't i think from a business standpoint um, we also have have a lot of small businesses that are adopting technology really, really fast. Like, I mean, you look around at, at technology, and some of the FinTech tools and how many of them have come out of Canada, right, you've, you've got shopify you've got Hubdoc, you've got wave you've got so many of these great technologies that are coming out of the country and and if you were to go and ask a small business owner they they probably don't know bill.com because it's not available here in canada um but they would probably and, and i know because uh, i wear enough intuit swag to for for people to 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 get that bell curve of how many people know and and how many people don't. I'd probably say half the population still have no idea who Intuit is. But the minute I say QuickBooks, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And if they don't know QuickBooks, absolutely, you're right. They know TurboTax for sure. Um, You start talking about, though, Shopify. You start talking about Stripe. And small businesses are adopting to this technology um, not because they want to be tech forward, but because that's where the business is. That's where that's where the opportunities are. And, and you're seeing so many young people who are looking at entrepreneurship as the next, as possibly the only step forward because of the, the sheer fact of, you know, the number of opportunities that are available for them in the fields that they want to do, that they're they're forced into entrepreneurship. So startup communities here in Toronto are massive, um, and and they're all pretty much all the startup communities have a pretty heavy focus on on tech, um, and and that's also because tech enables, um, you know, so many aspects of so many different types of business to move forward. So, I, you know, in Canada, and again, I get, I, I know that even within the business world. I'm living in a bit of a circle. I serve IT clients. I hang out at startup events. So I am hanging around with more tech focused people. Um, but it's still it's shifting and it's shifting faster and faster every year. Like, I think what's, what was that, that quote that the, the guy had, um, at, uh, connect is, is, um, Things have never uh, changed this quickly before, and they'll never change this slowly ever again. Um, you know that's how that's the the reality. Um, but we are we are
2: running out on time here. But, but that guy who said that never met a bunch of CPAs and accounts. No, but I, and
1: and I do. Have you tried out that tool he 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 talked about? Um, there was was the one I kept calling Clarity, but it wasn't Clarity. Um, uh, something
0: knows. Something knows.
1: Yes, uh, I'll tell you in a second. Um, it was actually. Well, well,
0: well while you find it, Andrew. Uh, yeah. let's, talk, let's spend the last ten minutes getting David more airtime. David, yeah, <laughs> more air time. you, you, you and Blake. Uh, you and Blake went in. Uh, Ryan Lasani. Uh, something else. Podcast. Yes, him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Firm. yeah. Uh, yeah it's a great, great episode. And the discussion mostly was around podcasting you know what what's the challenge how do you you know who's doing podcasting who's not who's doing good ones and I I think part of the argument here is the reason why I think accountants are are laggards big time laggards is because of the amount of podcasts that there aren't right because if you look at every industry in the world like there's a podcast for everything there's a podcast I mean I I looked like like my son hates podcasts he thinks they're super boring and I, and I, I and I go on the phone. I'm like, look, well, when I'm with him, can we listen to a podcast together? And I was looking for a Fortnite uh, podcast because that's the only way me, me, my son and I bond. We bond over Fortnite. There was like 3,700 Fortnite podcasts. You know, when you look for like an accounting podcast or something regarding financial statements and financial planning and advisory. There really isn't many. There's many attempts to them. But there
2: might, yeah. There, there's, there's probably about 220 something. I, I've, I've a spreadsheet. I've, I've, the research? I, I've, I've, I've yeah. I've, I've cataloged a lot of them. Now every week there's a new one that pops up. But the problem is this: this is a flaw of accountants and bookkeepers, right? People start a podcast and then eight weeks in, eight episodes in, they quit. Oh, that didn't work. They don't let anything bake long enough. And this, and I see the same thing with niches, right? the counter breakkeepers like I'm going to be in the brewery niche. And then next time I see him six months later, at the conference, like, Oh, I'm doing dentist office. Now the brewery didn't work out. Then I see him again, like eight months later, and now they're doing e-commerce and I'm just like, you're not doing anything long enough to get good at it. Like it took Blake and I 40 episodes. It took us almost a full year before we really got into a rhythm. Right. And like people just do eight and, and you have to push through that. Right. Because if, if you do anything eight times, your mom listens and then, you're lucky if you get somebody else to listen on a podcast, right? Nobody's listening. And so you have to push through that wall of disappointment, right? To, to keep going. But I, I see this all the time. Like people, well, that, that brewery niche thing didn't work out. So i switched changed to this different niche. And then that didn't work out. And then people are like, I'm not sure niches work. I'm like, well, no, it works, but you have to put the work in for 18 months. I see it with apps too. Apps just go to one conference, never show up again. Uh, we couldn't get success you know, with accounts and bookkeepers. I'm like, you got to play the game for 18 months, 24 months. You can't just show up once and expect to win. Like nobody wants to do work.
0: That's true. Nobody and David, know. beyond the, the, the marketing benefits, which is what we're discussing, right? Like when you're saying- Yeah, you... for,
2: for if accountants want to create a podcast, right. right? For their own- Right, firm. so accountants
0: yeah. want to create a podcast and what you're saying, the reason why they quit or they say it didn't work, what they're referring to is we didn't get a new client from it. And for the most part, I think yeah. that's what they mean by it didn't work. But assuming that you, that you were to start a podcast or a video cast, a Facebook cast, whatever you want to call it, and, and you go on a whole year and no one listens. Let's just assume that no one listens to it. You don't get any sponsors. You don't get any new clients from it. Are there inherent benefits to just doing the podcast in a vacuum? What, what do you think about that?
2: So Blake had some good points on that. Um, I think at one level, like you as an accountant or bookkeeper, just by doing it, you're moving yourself from the stereotypical introverted accountant, right, to getting some extroverted skills and, and, and things like that, some people skills, we want to call it that. But Blake said that what's interesting about it, he said, even if nobody listens, you could take that podcast, get it transcribed, you could slice that, oh, guess what, now you have a blog post. Now maybe you have two or three social media snippets right? So you could, it's not a wash, it's not a waste, right? If you were to do something.
0: And so many authors write books by, by talking into a recording machine anyway. So, um, what, what you're talking about is the, 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 the podcast or the exercise of communicating into a camera or into a microphone to, to make a point, right? Make a point, say an opinion, explain something new, uh, you know, maybe just get something out of your chest, that exercise by itself levels you up. Um, and uh, and in the exact areas that accounting need the most help in, which is communication, right? Communication, uh, marketing, self-promotion. So our entire profession has one really big flaw, which is we're great with numbers, great with computers, not so great with people. And there's the opportunity sitting there, low-hanging fruit, uh, you know do a podcast do a, do youtube videos and they still don't do them and that's one I think that's one of the indicators that the industry is falling behind i you i can see you could show me a spreadsheet that shows me 100,000 accountants going into build.com. but if i don't see them in youtube or facebook or or podcast if i don't see them com, you know communicating and communicating which is pretty much what 2020 and beyond is going to be about i think the winners are gonna be the best communicators period. I mean, I think the last decade has proved it that you can go from no one to a really, really big, larger than life person like Gary Vee, uh, who is just a guy working in a wine shop, you know, just by being excellent communicators. Um, so I think that's gonna be the, 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 the canary in the coal ma- in the coal mine, is that what the expression is? Yeah. When we start seeing accountants get better at communicating in social media and this, I think we're gonna we're gonna start inferring that they are, you know, moving with the times. Um What do you think about that, David? Is that is that is that unfair characterization, or?
2: Well, I think it's um. I think com- it's just another form of communication that some people are intimidated by, right? And it, for me, I actually, if I was to have to write a blog post every single week about the news, it just would never make it out the door. It just never would. Um, I, I think the podcast, you go, you record, you record it, you know, what comes out of your mouth comes out of your mouth. But when you're sitting there like writing a post and you type a sentence and you reread the sentence and you delete the sentence and you rewrite, type something different and you back it up, like it's a very long process. And I think because everybody's try, I, I would say a, va- a large amount of accounts and bookkeepers have probably at least tried to write some blog posts, right? And that's a painful medium to do. And, you know, versus just, Hey, just talking on microphone. Right. And, and literally it was like that for Blake and I, it was just us talking to each other for a long time. So
1: So how do you think people should define success in those early days to help them get beyond it? What are the things they should be looking at to try and identify, okay, these are, this is is an indication that this is working. This is where you should spend more time and energy in um, to help them improve. What do the KPIs they should look that?
2: I mean, I, I think for, yes, you can look at like the downloads and things like that. But I think for us, it was when people we didn't know came up and said, hey, I listened to the podcast. Like, it, it's great. Like I know Hector and Hector's like, oh, Hector tells us we have a great podcast. But Hector, you're my friend. It, it doesn't matter. So, but when somebody you don't know, a stranger discovers your content and reaches out to you, that's like, it just, it's a victory. It doesn't matter if, I mean, now we have 2,000 people downloading an episode, and it still feels just as good when somebody I don't know comes up and says, "Hey, I, I listen to podcasts, like the podcast." But I think some of the the the, the smaller wins are definitely uh, along the way. You know, the you're you're getting any feedback from it at all, right? Because those those are victories, yeah. right? I, I think if you don't get anything, um, not even like your podcast sucks, that they I don't know what like. What do you do, right? If you're not getting downloads, you're not getting feedback either direction. I think that's where it gets a little bit bit gray. Okay, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna just lay the cards on the table, Hector. I hope you don't mind me oversharing here. Um, I'd love some feedback on maybe some suggestions on how we can uh, do better. Because I'll tell you our pain point right now, where we're we're struggling with this podcast. Um, so we're getting a lot of three second views, um, and we've got a few diehard fans who watch and come regularly and and watch from start to finish. And we love you guys,
0: by the way, we We love love you guys.
1: guys, And we really do. So there's, um, there's a handful, but it's a really small group of people that are really watching and engaging the content from start to finish. And we're sitting here and we are actually having conversations about, okay, what do we do? Do we drop this? Do we pivot? Do we adapt? Do we shorten the content? Do we switch to a different medium? Um, Because, like, like we said, we're getting like lots of like three second views, but those don't mean anything. They're not really engaging with the content we yeah. would like. Um, and we have, we have a really tight group of, of people that we see regularly and we get that. And that's been really positive for us when we get those people like, Hey, why weren't you guys live on Friday night? What the heck you let us down. And that was sort of rewarding. But when we're sitting here going, there's three of us here, you know, it's, it's obviously not a podcast that's that's driving clients to our door. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're not making any revenue out of this. And we, we wanted to do it for the community, but when the community isn't really engaging with it, do we pivot? Do we drop? Do we?
2: I mean, and this is a different view of video that I have probably from Hector, but like the reason I, I personally like podcasts is just, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Like the commitment to having a video open and sitting and watching it, it's just there's too much ability for other distraction to the browser tab, something else come up. I'm not really watching it anyways. It's just playing in the background tab. But like a podcast, I can mow the lawn. I, when I'm walking the dog, I can listen to a podcast. I can drive my car and listen to a podcast, right? And I think that's the, the, the digestible part. Because even if you, I was just thinking, was you're speaking about shorter videos, but um, Twilight with Helm, they just had a, she probably had 100 different accountants. Do one minute videos it's like video experiment of the day thing right mm-hmm. uh-huh. I made-
0: big, let, let's give a shout out to that because that's actually yeah, we, we haven't talked it, about yeah. that twilight by the way i personally texted her and i said this is kind of a murky idea you know getting people to do random one minute videos with no rhyme or reason and she said with all due respect Hector, this is the idea we're gonna go with it i said okay all right let's see what happens and and the engagement was incredible in twitter the amount of people that did one minute videos. And I was completely wrong, well, just like I could be wrong about many things. So I'd like to give a shout out to Twilight, great job. And, and Twilight so did that
2: for the one minute videos. And she did it herself first for herself because she was trying to come out of her shell, right? And so it was, it was a way for people to come out of their, their shell. But I can also say like, there was hundreds of those videos coming through my Twitter feed. I maybe pressed play on two of them because I'm like, okay, there's 60 people that each did a one minute video. I don't have an hour every day. I just, right? (laughs) Like, if you, I I just, I don't have it. And it's no offense to anybody who made these videos. It's just like, it's, it's, even a one minute video is overwhelming for people. Right.
1: But I think also the point of that, as you said, and and as actor, and as you guys both said, The point of those videos wasn't for how many views are you going to get on the video it's breaking you out of your comfort zone to do something that you wouldn't normally do so it wasn't like if if just your mom watched it it's a win right if nobody watched it it's a win because you took a risk you put yourself out there so kudos to everyone who did that even if you had zero views on your video and and to your point if you got less than you were expecting, it's probably because
2: there was a hundred people out there putting them out at the same time. Right? <laughs> same time. Yeah, there's a lot. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Twilight can compile them all up and rip them out into an MP3 file and release them as a one podcast episode. And then I can just, you know, enjoy them that at way. There, now, I,
1: And to that, to that point, and maybe like, so the problem is we're, okay. we're, we're still struggling is we've got it as a podcast. We've got it as downloadable content um, and but we're still not getting the engagement levels we'd like to see. Um, and it's been hard for us. Like literally Hector, Mike, and I have sat down and said, are we going to continue with this podcast? Um, and I'm the one going, yeah, 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 let's keep going. Let's keep going. And these guys are like, I got busy businesses here, Andrew. I don't know if we can keep doing this. Um, and, and, uh, you know, any tips or suggestions that we can use as benchmarks to to keep this going would be appreciated.
2: But. Um, um. I don't know if it's a tempered suggestion. I just It's an observation that we ha- I have with mine. And I've actually talked to the – there's a podcast out of Australia from the trenches, right? And uh, David Boyer and um, Paul uh, – oh, what's Paul's last name. Help here.
1: Um, it's not Boyer, is it? No.
2: No. It's David Boyer and Paul – it's for the trenches, a good podcast. I just don't know. their name. Yeah. I forgot Paul's last name right now. Anyways, but I've talked to them and they've made seen, they've seen the similar, same observation. So when we do guests on our podcast, we do a guest interview. They just don't get as many downloads as when it's just Blake and us, Blake and myself speaking. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a couple of theories behind that one when it's just Blake and myself, we're covering the news and it's, it's, it's a comfort zone for listeners. It's um, an expected format. They know we're going to talk about the news, and I think when there's interviews and guests, people pick and choose. Like I, you know, a third, of, two thirds of the audience will listen to these three people. Another two thirds listen to these two people. Another, right, and so we get almost twenty five percent less um, listeners on interview episodes.
1: Interesting.
2: And so, you know, maybe I know you guys are always bringing in random guests here and there. You know, somebody like me shows up, very random, throw, like you. right? Yeah, super and random, <laughs> super random. And you know, maybe maybe your audience would just want more stability. I don't know. So maybe maybe this is
1: probably a good time to end it. And and I'm going to end it with an ask. Of the I'll office. never be on, I'll never be on the podcast. This is it. Yeah. You pumped yeah, their numbers, David. We, we got you for <laughs> interviewing. You 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 really when well, we have guests like you who are celebrities, it pumps our numbers. Oh boy. Uh, but I'd love to hear from, from anyone who's watching, um, what we could do to make the content more appealing and more engaging. Um, you know, we we are really trying to do this. I know Hector's big thing was this was for the community. He wanted it to be fun. He wanted it to be something. It was just something like you said. This was something to do where your daughters were doing something you didn't want it to do. Um, right. <laughs> so how, how do we still make this fun for for Hector and Mike, um, but engaging for you guys? And I'd love to I'd love to hear that from you. Um, and and David, thanks again. Um, uh, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on, especially when you're sporting the the, the fresh gear. Um, <laughs> it's looking <laughs> solid. Hector, I love your shirt, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, show that off for the audience. Nice. <laughs> We're trying to compete with your swag here, David. <laughs> you
2: can't order these online, though. <laughs> There's there some mock-up of a shirt I was working on for the Cloud Accounting Podcast, and I think I used a microphone similar to that at one time. Did you? On one of the mock-ups, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, well, all uh, out. It's
2: a clip art. It's clip art, David. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Canva.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Okay, well, thanks again, David. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. And uh, everybody next week. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
2: Welcome. 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 (laughs) Unicorn. (laughs) Unicorn. Join Andrew Wall,
1: Hector Garcia,
0: and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule
2: make accounting
0: fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready?